sometimes the church gets it wrong. It gets it wrong in a few ways. It gets it wrong in how we treat people who have different ideas. It gets it wrong in that we don't convey the gospel of Jesus as it's supposed to be conveyed. We get it wrong in that we think that other people are less than because they don't have the same theological understanding as us. But sometimes the church might have it right and we just don't want to agree with it. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Hey everybody, good to see you tonight. My name is Philip. I'm one of the young adult pastors here at the University Church. If you are a first timer in this space, my prayer is that you would not only feel welcomed, but that you'd find family here, that you can come back over and over, no matter the seasons that you might have to step out of this space, that when you come back, you find family in this space. Lev, you're always welcome, bro. Came from North Dakota. Texas, just kidding. The oil fields of Texas and came back. I like those cowboy boots you were wearing, man. It looks good. looks good. You know, my daughter, she absolutely does not like brushing her teeth right now in her life. It's kind of one of those things that neither did I up until I was like 25. So I'd be walking across campus there at Academy and um, these girls were like, hey, how many times do you brush your teeth every week? And I just was really honest. I was like, probably like, I don't know. And then I was like, this must be a trick question. So I'm like, how many times do you brush your teeth? And like, every day. And I was like, but why? (laughs) And like, wait, but how many times do you brush your teeth every week? Like, maybe every three days? Yeah, that's why I had like all these cavities and pulled out a bunch of teeth. Yeah, I didn't have the best etiquette. Up until probably I was like in college. I know it sounds awful, doesn't it? I blame it to the fact that I came from a third world country. Yeah, anyways. So back to my daughter. She follows in that same tradition of her father who uh, she comes up to me and she says, Daddy, can I have some milk? And I say, hey, you know, we talked to the dentist and the dentist said, listen, you have to brush your teeth after you drink your milk. And so I said, you want milk, but we just brushed your teeth. And so we have this argument about that. And so she doesn't get that. Well, then I ask her some other nights, I say, did you brush your teeth? And she said, yes, yes, I brushed my teeth. I brushed my teeth. I look at my wife and she's like. (laughs) And I say, Petra, are you lying? She doesn't really know what that is. She's three, you know, she doesn't even know what lying is. And I say, when was the last time you brushed your teeth? Because I'm asking if you brushed it today. I did brush my teeth. I brushed my teeth. I brushed my teeth. When did you brush your teeth? Many days ago. (laughs) 
You know, for her, truth seems relative. But in her moment of describing it, she's telling me absolutely what she believes to be true. And in that moment, that is exactly what she's telling me. The problem is that this idea of how we relate to truth seems to follow us all throughout our life in which we make truth relative based on the circumstances, comforts, and priorities of our life. But is that really how truth is to be understood? Tonight's sermon is truth in a my truth age. It's a moment when I had to ask myself, wait, what does really my truth mean? I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary because I'm not really good with all of these, you know, modern terms. You know what I did a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I won't bring that up about Netflix. But anyways, some of you are looking around. Yeah, I, I did something with Netflix and chill. I didn't understand what that meant. <laughs> yeah. I won't use that, say that ever again. So I looked up what is my truth, and it's this idea that you and I have an understanding of an opinionated truth that is based on personal preference. My truth based on my preference. My preference in a certain circumstance. I remember being in an ethics class, and it, and it really came out to me, though. Not everyone always deserves the truth. What do you mean by that? The question is posed in a case study there in my ethics class. A young Jewish boy is asked, who has blonde hair and blue eyes, are you a Jew? In front of his German professor and all of these German children. He doesn't fit the stereotype of a Jew who would have maybe dark hair and darker eyes. Does he tell his teacher if he's a Jew or not? Does that teacher deserve the truth For what will she do with the truth? She will use it as an evil against him. And in that situation, it is understood that the professor of my class said, not everyone deserves the truth. Wow. It challenged me to think a little bit deeper about this. But I ask you, what truths, though, does everyone deserve? What truth do I, you, and every human being, regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, religion, what truth do we all have a need for? Objective truth. A truth that must be a measure based on all categories. Is all human life equal? Is that an objective truth that we can agree to? Is all human life equal? Is it equal? We can kind of agree? Someone's saying define equal. Oh, good, good. Okay, okay. Unfortunately, in our human history, we haven't always even seen this as something that we can agree on. If you go to certain East Asian countries, you'll find that there are some people who are born into a job, a job cleaning up the refuse, the bathroom visits of everyone around, because this is the category they were born into. They are not equal to others. Go back a couple hundred years and even recently within our American culture, is everyone equal? Depends what color you are. Hmm. 
That's unfortunate. That even objective truth, certain standards that we set an idea about which we can rally around isn't valid. Well, what about if you're a different sexual orientation? Or if you have different preferences and politics? Or if you are a male or maybe you're a female? Are you all equal? I want to look at something in which Jesus challenges us to think about when we think about truth in a relative my truth age. Go with me to Mark chapter 8. And here I want to bring out a very profound reality that Jesus challenges my truth understandings. And beginning in verse 27, Mark chapter 8 and verse 27, if you have your iPhone or a real Bible like a real Christian would bring to church. I'm just kidding. Kind of. And Jesus there says to his disciples, as they were on their way to villages around Caesarea Philippi, on their way he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. The idea was in Jewish understanding, there was always this idea that there would be someone to come to rescue them whether they understood it to be the word Messiah or Jesus or something, they knew someone was coming who would take them out of their captivity. This idea of captivity was always something that was understood in the Israel's, Israeli people's mind. They came out of Egypt. They came out of bondage. And now again, they're under Roman rule. Someone will come and rescue them. And so who do they say I am? They replied, but what do you say? Who do you say that I am, Jesus? Then looked at his disciples. And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Messiah was a term that was saved for the one who would save them. But how would he save them? In which way would he save them? What would he do? How would he accomplish his messiahship of helping to save them? Well, let's see what Peter actually believes the Messiah would do and what the Messiah said he would do. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. This word warned is is this idea of rebuke, chastening. Hey, really be careful. Please don't say anything. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he would be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You see, you find here that Peter and Jesus had very different understandings of what the Messiah would accomplish. Jesus was telling him what the Messiah would actually accomplish. Peter was trying to tell him his truth. Jesus was giving him the objective truth, and Peter was trying to be a my truth kind of guy. 
when you and I come into the face of someone who has a different truth than we do, there's always a fight. If you ever follow anything on politics, you see there's a lot of fights going on right now. We look at issues related to abortion. There's a lot of fights going on right now. When you look at issues of race and gender, there's a lot of fights going on right now. Whenever someone has a truth of their own that comes into conflict with someone else's, there's a fight that's going to happen. Jesus looks plainly now and he tells Peter what happens when you have a my truth that's staring an objective truth. He looks at him and Jesus turns saying, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the mind that, that concerns that of God, but merely human concerns. When you think about something that is relative truth, you have to ask yourself, does God have any involvement in my comfort, my preference, and what I think about this subject? Because if God isn't involved at all in your thinking about that idea, that preference, or that comfort, you might be standing on a my truth. But if you channel that reality and look at it through a different lens, then you might have to say, wait a second, I might be standing on something that's solid ground. How do you understand if you're standing on solid ground on something that's objective? How do you know that you're standing on something that when it looks into the face of culture and those around you, that you can actually not argue, but at least defend and say, friend, I'm speaking from a position that is beyond me. I want to challenge you to look at one more passage with me, and then I'm going to share a couple points. I want you to look at with me now in the book of Acts, as Paul begins to share the gospel about who Jesus is. Because Paul understood exactly who Jesus was because he got to experience the reality of Jesus crucified. When Paul understood the story of Jesus, he had to share that with everyone around. He had to share that with absolutely everybody because he believed and understood this was a solid truth. This was objective fact. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the crucified one. He didn't come in reigning on a horse with a knife and sword to kill he came into the setting of Rome actually to die on a cross because this objective truth could actually bring salvation where a sword would only bring bloodshed for a moment. And so Paul, looking at a group of people, explains the gospel to them. In chapter 17 of Acts and beginning in verse 10, we catch here Paul on a journey with his friend Silas, going from city to city, sharing about Jesus in the synagogues to the Jewish people along with the Gentiles. And he gets to a place called Berea. And as soon as it was night, verse 10, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of noble character than those in Thessalonica because those in Thessalonica actually beat Paul and Silas. 
That's why they were of noble character. <laughs> and they reached there and they received the message with great eagerness. And now listen to this. And examined the scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and Greek men. The Bereans understood one of the most significant principles you and I are going to have to wrestle with in a my truth age. Do you believe that the Bible is an objective truth or not? That is the most important question that you and I have to wrestle with as young adults right now, particularly those from a Christian background. Unfortunately, as we saw in the statistics throughout our series in the last two sermons, three-fourths of young adults, two-thirds actually of young adults, walk away from church some point during their college years and don't return until potentially maybe later in life, if that. And you're left with this understanding and reality that something pushes them out or they don't agree with something or they don't like something that they see. Sometimes the church gets it wrong. It gets it wrong in a few ways. It gets it wrong in how we treat people who have different ideas. It gets it wrong in that we don't convey the gospel of Jesus as it's supposed to be conveyed. We get it wrong in that we think that other people are less than because they don't have the same theological understanding as us. But sometimes the church might have it right, and we just don't want to agree with it. The Bereans were such that it said here, they examined what Paul said by comparing what he said to Scripture. They took what Paul, this man of God, this man of miracles, this missionary who preached all around that Middle Eastern world, this man of prestige, someone to be honored and revered. When they came up to speak, you don't question what he says, but not the Bereans. The Bereans understood they had an objective truth that their entire life and teaching and everyone else who spoke had to measure up to that. And if they didn't, sorry, that's really nice what you're saying up there, but it's not true. Do you have such a conviction that scripture, that this holy book, this revered text, this literary article, as some would want to call it, is objectively true in such a way that you could firmly believe what it says and that you could counter what other people say. Because when you look at what they say, you also read the text and you say, I don't know if that's right. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians out of the World War II kind of world, he said that when Christ calls a person, he calls them to come and die. It seems like such a crazy thing to, for someone to say. When Christ calls someone, he calls you, hey, come and die. 
shoot, dude, I ain't following you. If I follow you, I'm going to be dying. That's exactly what happened in Jonestown. People followed a preacher out of L.A. into the deep jungles of South America, and there at one point, they followed him, and sure enough, they all drank the Kool-Aid that was laced with cyanide, and they died. When a preacher calls you to come and die and drink the Kool-Aid, friend, don't drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid. But I want to tell you that I actually believe that many of us are drinking a Kool-Aid that is based on cultural preferences, choices, and comforts that feel good in the moment right now but that are not based on truth that is objective. I want to preface that because I know that's a really hard thing to say. And some of you are sitting in that pew and you're like, bro, do you know what I'm struggling with and what I'm wrestling with? Do you understand what's going on in my life and my family and the circumstances that I'm experiencing? I can't just blindly take what the text says and say, fine. You don't know my life. God is big enough to take your spiritual struggle. God is big enough to wrestle with you. God is big enough to journey through the pain of what you're experiencing. God is big enough to stand in the midst of you wrestling and say, I still care for you. I still love you. I still call you my own. I still believe in you. And yes, I still don't call you to change. And I have the patience to wait with you. The story of the prodigal son is an interesting story. It's a story of a father who deeply loves his son who wants to live in a my truth understanding. No, father. I want this and I want this now in my way, in my time. I'd rather you be dead and I could have my inheritance now. The father being kind and loving and recognizing this young man who he gave to be born with his wife was struggling. In the midst of his struggle, God though understood as the parable of this story is told The son comes to his senses, realizing that his truth needed to be baptized again in the truth that there is a father who still loves him, cares for him in the midst of his struggle. Friends, I don't know where you're at right now in your life and what struggles you're wrestling with, but I want to lead you to this reality. If you are struggling with anything in your life, and I don't even need to name things out right now. I want to ask you two things, though, two considerations that you would take with me. The first is, if you grew up in the church, if you grew up with a Christian background, you heard the sermons about the scriptures, you heard the teachings about Jesus, you understood that there is a story in this book that is true that you can base your life on. But can you now start basing your everyday life on it? Might you consider before you start making decisions about things, about 
business plans, about marriage proposals, about identity things, about anything in your life? Can, can you begin to say, God, what does your word say about this? What does your word say about this? And might then the second consideration be, could you risk denying yourself, picking up the cross and following after Jesus and living into what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, which is exactly that. When you and I take the name of Christ and his way, it isn't that we die instantly, but that our preferences do. That our comforts do end up needing to pass away. Because some of us are harming ourselves. We harm ourselves with certain ideologies and understandings that in the face of the cross, in the face of scripture, it is convicting. And Jesus says, my son, my daughter, I need you to stand up and be like the Bereans. Don't take everything for gospel. Don't take what everyone says and yes, that's true for you, that's true for you and they're both okay because the thing is, some truths are harmful. I gave you the idea of a pastor calling people to take cyanide. What about extreme Christians like Jonesboro Baptist Church who literally have the most heinous signs and they're pointing them to people who are at abortion clinics or people who are of other different identities and they are hateful in their Christian faith. Or Islamic terrorists who are going on jihads, killing other Muslims and other believers and Christians, they are hateful in their message of what they believe to be true. And might you and I potentially be believing things, believing and acting on certain things that likewise, maybe they don't hurt anybody around you, but they are hurting you. Some of you have such a low concept of yourself. It's hurting you. You are chosen. You are loved. You are cared for. You are God's anointed. And so I want to challenge you tonight. Would you consider with me that Jesus deeply desires to be in the midst of your struggle, but that he also wants to encourage you to be obedient and to follow him in faithfulness. There's a quote that comes from a book that I've been reading now for some time, getting my way through, and it comes from the very beginning, a book called Great Controversy by Ellen White. And there in the introduction, I'm going to end with this. Because some believers take this idea, well, I am following Jesus. I'm listening to his, to his voice, and it's taking me down paths that are good and right. But in reality, sometimes when we're following voices and we're not basing it on truth, you might not be following the voice of God. Listen to what it says here. The Spirit was not given, nor can it be bestowed to supersede the Bible. For the Scriptures explicitly state that the Word of God is the standard by which all teaching and experience must be tested on. Says the Apostle Paul, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. 1 John 4, 8. 
And Isaiah declares to the law and to the testimony, if they don't speak according to the word, it's because there's no light in them. That's a hard thing to look at someone and say, friend, that's really good what you're saying, but that is contrary to the word of God. And instead of that being a thing of the light and bringing freedom and peace and hope and healing, you're bringing rather darkness and more shame upon yourself because you're fighting against the spirit of God. We want wants to lead you into blessing. The Ten Commandments, actually, when you look at them, are actually positives, not negatives. They are blessings into the life of the believer. Hey, when you don't lie, you live a good life. When you love the spouse you've been given, you don't hurt your neighborhood. When you don't treat your parents with contempt and hatred, you actually are blessed and live with peace and you have a long life. Hey, when you keep the Sabbath, you're not holding back from doing things. God's not trying to call you. Hey, 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 stop watching movies. Hey, 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 stop getting that money on that day. Hey, 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 don't be watching that. Don't be eating that. No, it's rather I want you to rest and I want you to enjoy and I want you to feel restored. The word of God is called for your blessing. The word of God is the authority that you can rest your life upon. In this age of walking away in my truth, I want to challenge you in this last way. Tonight, would you have the courage to take the text and believe it and live your life by it? Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.